When asked about the film we're watching tonight, its director said, I've often referred to this film as like a Walt Whitman poem. It's no good, but it was the first of its kind. Lux Interior of the Cramps referred to the film as one of the all-time greats. It was the first gore movie. Now it looks kind of funny, but it's still really sick. Noted film critic Joe Bob Briggs has said, This movie is one of those films that's much more fun to talk about than it is to actually watch. (laughs) That's right. Tonight we are watching Herschel Gordon Lewis's Blood Feast. Oh, hooray. Which was a surprise to Phil and Kit. (laughs) It's Death by Video. It's time to watch a movie you never seen. There might be some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There'll be smiles and there'll be tears. You won't watch another movie for about 600 years. It's time for death by video. I'm Kit. And I'm Graham saying welcome back to another episode of Merry Movie Mayhem. We're still not doing an Abel Ferreira movie yet because of a whole lot of scheduling issues. And we're, gonna- we're, we're, we're making sure that we can get get you the Abel Ferreira um, series, kind of an unbroken stream. So we're, just, yeah. we're making sure we got them all in the can. Yeah, we're going to bank episodes and then release them efficiently. Um, but uh, we're going to do instead start a mini um, director series. We're going to cover Herschel Gordon, Gordon Lewis's The Blood Trilogy, which should also be known as David Friedman's Blood Trilogy because he was the producer in all the films and it was his partnership with uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis that allowed these films to be made. So um, after that stirring intro, um, Blood Feast is a 1963 film. It is a gore film. It is uh, a true exploitation film. Yeah, it's just it's it's a. I like Gor- Herschel Gordon Lewis's movies. This one is a bit of a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a watch. I'll put I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, so before we get into the film, has either of you or any of you? Um, sorry, it's still either of you. Seen anything interesting since we last recorded? Uh, yeah, a mix of rewatches and first watches. Um, good first watch. Uh, first good first watch since we last recorded. Um. The uh, Ron Man documentary, the twist about the, tw- it's just called Twist, about the twist uh, dance fad. Nice. Which is a fun uh, little documentary. It's still on the streaming services. I watched it on Canopy. It was on the Criterion cool. channel for some point, but it's it's still on Canopy. I think most of his documentaries are. Um, I, haven't re- I haven't watched it since the late 90s, but I watched uh, John Frankenheimer's second last movie, Ronin. Ooh, nice! That's yeah, the car chase movie, right? That's, that's some some like two really iconic car chases in that one. Very cool. Um, rewatched Eyes Wide Shut. I was inspired by uh, the scary of sixty first. So uh, Ooh. revisit that one. Cool. Um, watched uh, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. How was that? That's really disgusting, but yet. Uh, <laughs> But very good, oh, surprisingly. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't I'm like this could go either way, but I really enjoyed it. Cool. Anything else interesting? Um, a rewatch of I 
finally like this movie. Uh, the despite its outlandishly nonsensical nature, um, the game, Fincher's the game. We were talking about that before you showed up. Yeah, we yeah. actually were. Uh, coincidentally enough, yeah. Yeah, it was featured on Hollywood Suites' most recent episode of their podcast. Um, oh wow, the year in film. Okay. Yeah. Because I just re I just read um, Adam Naiman's uh, David Fincher coffee table book. Nice. So it prompted me to uh, rewatch the game, and it's an incredibly well shot movie. It's the late Harris Savitti's uh, mm-hmm. shot that one. Did you know that originally it wasn't supposed to be Sean Penn playing no. Robert or not Robert De Niro, uh, playing Michael Douglas's uh, younger brother? It was actually going to be Jodie Foster playing his daughter. Yeah. But at which and she had already played his daughter before previously, like decades earlier. But uh, apparently, Michael Douglas thought that even though they both have remained the same age since he previously played her father, he was too young to play her father <laughs> in, in that movie. It's like I can't be a father of a thirty-year-old woman. That's crazy at fifty-three. Yeah, he's playing like a forty-something in the game. He thinks he's playing a 40-something yes. in the game. Well, the part of the plot is that it's his father's... It's the same birthday that his dad committed suicide, and he's turning that old. Uh, I forget I how see. old it's supposed to be, but it is a plot point uh, yeah. that I remember. But still, come on, Mike. <laughs> also, they could yeah. have just changed the script, so it's like, when your dad turned 50. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways, it's, it, it is what it is. It, would have been it, wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be a Fincher movie either. It was supposed to be directed by Jonathan Mosco, yeah. who... Uh, but he got tied up on... Um, Breakdown, I believe. Yeah, which is the, the other film they were talking about on that podcast. Yeah, which is another underrated thriller. Yeah, I got to watch that movie. I haven't seen it in... in... I rewatched it last year, and it's, yeah. it's still enjoyable. It's still good, yeah. The unfortunate thing is that there's only like one D- Blu-ray of it. It's from like Australia, and it's like $75, oh, yeah. which I'm not going to buy. Um, cool. Anything else interesting, Phil? Uh, that's it for, uh, oh yeah, I wa- finally watched Panic Room in its entirety. Cool. That's a movie I always was, watched bits and pieces of, but that's, mm-hmm. that, that's a good banger of a movie. You're just on a, a little Fincher, um, Kick? foray? A Fincher <laughs> foray? Just, just filling in some blind spots. Cool. Yeah. Did you, sorry, back to Jodie Foster, because she started in Panic Room. Did you yeah. know she actually got paid for, uh, for, uh, the game? Because she was cast and yeah. signed a contract, and then they were like, uh, no, you're they too... They had to buy her out, yeah. Yeah, well, not even buy her out. Like They weren't going to pay her, and then she sued them, so she got her full yeah. pay, which is awesome. I love when that happens in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like how Michelle Pfeiffer, there was... If you wonder why her career kind of like evaporated in the 90s, it's because she was constantly being held back to do the Catwoman movie that never happened. So I think she got a lot of money out of that, though, because it was like they canceled it like three times on her or something. I mean, it did happen. But just with Halle Berry, <laughs> not with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. And Halle Berry won the Golden Raspberry for that. Exactly. Fun she was had, that a rather iconic acceptance speech. Yeah. Anything else, Phil? Or was that it? Uh, that's it for good stuff. Cool. All right, Kit, have you seen anything interesting since we last recorded? Yeah. Um, okay, so I did try to watch. I uh, put on what looked uh, on Hollywood Suites. Uh, the uh, uh, I guess it's a cable channel, but it's also a, a streaming service. A streaming service offshoot mm-hmm. of Prime. Anyway, they had um, what looked like the 1956 uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie, The Man Who Knew Too Little, starring um, 
James Stewart, and that was the description of the movie, too. And I clicked on that, and I'm like, oh, I've never seen it. This should be a good little hour and 12 minutes. I was surprised by the runtime. I was like, that's a short-ass movie. Mm -hmm. um, turns out it was the 1934 Peter Lorre Ooh, version nice. of The Man Who Knew Too, too Much. Yeah, not The Man I Who Knew Too knew Little. Too little. Yeah, the Bill Murray yeah. movie. No, 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 yeah. no. That's not what I meant. Mm -hmm. uh, the Man Who Knew Too Much. Uh, that was one that uh, came on instead. Although I didn't realize at the time, because I'm an idiot... And also, I didn't realize that there were two versions of it. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, that's the title card. A lot of these film effects look pretty dated, even by 1950s standards. But yeah, you just went with it? Went with it. And then I sort of realized halfway through, mm -hmm. like, oh, they're talking about, like, we can't let World War... We can't let the, the Second Great War start. We have to prevent this assassination mm -hmm. is a major part of the plot. Did you realize that was actually the third time Hitchcock uh, made that film? Or, sorry, the, 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 he made it three times. Because he did it once silent, then in the 30s and then in the 50s so silent black and white and then color i did not know that um well i definitely would have clued in if i'd watched the silent version although i do have to say i enjoyed the movie just because peter laurie yeah he's just, awesome he's so good he's good fun he smolders on that screen he's fantastic and apparently he had to learn his lines phonetically he didn't really even speak good enough english you wouldn't know it yeah um, then I finally uh, watched the uh, 1990 rob reiner film misery which is a good uh, cool. stephen king adaptation yeah good one um, I saw a lot of Kathy Bates in the last because uh, I've been watching American Horror Story and bits and pieces. Like I'm watching the seasons out of order, but she's actually in a bunch and she's quite good. I just I just remember this movie. I never saw it when I was a kid, but I remember my uh, my mom's friend was upset about the film because she was a Steve, she read a bunch mm -hmm. of Stephen King books, and she was like, "They're a bunch of cowards, the filmmakers." Because instead of um, Kathy Bates chopping off James Caan's foot. Uh, to hobble him. She just breaks his leg? She breaks his leg with a... Uh, well, he, she breaks both his ankles with a mm -hmm. sledgehammer and a block of wood. And, yeah. Uh, my mom's friend was none too pleased with this. It's fine. I bet she also doesn't like The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> if that's, if that's Nobody what... did back in the day, though. Ah. Um, I rewatched... Oh, for that matter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, the TV series. I've never actually watched the miniseries. Leave it in the past. Okay. It's one of those things like you watch, like I watched it when I was younger. I'm like, oh, this is quite good. And then I, I watched some clips of it recently. And I'm like, oh my God, like this is not good at all. all Sorry, right. Mick Garris. I'm, like the Stan miniseries, still great. Yeah, that still, yeah still still holds good. up. Yeah. I but, should go back. Like uh, there were so many back in the day, the uh, Tommyknockers and um, Langoliers. Langoliers. Um, so I rewatched 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I hadn't seen for a decade, over a decade. It still holds up. That's a solid film. Mm -hmm. I realize that it's uh, less about being about anything at all, more just about like, man, look at how cool this is, and look at how yeah. great this sounds. It's vibes. It mm -hmm. is totally vibes. There's barely any plot. The plot is the history of humankind. <laughs> uh, then I watched The Tragedy of Macbeth, the new um, Joel Cohen, I think it's Joel Cohen, mm -hmm. film, without Ethan. I know. One of those guys. Solid, so man, just a remarkable um Shakespeare turn from Denzel Washington. I know he's done it, but like he was in uh, Much Ado About Nothing, the Kenneth Branagh film back in the day. Uh, but he's so good in this. I think it's because you can say you can say the lines well, which mm -hmm. a lot of actors can do. Like they can say the lines well and enunciate, and you can hear what they're saying. But it sounds like he's actually thinking these words and saying them, which is I think a rare talent. Cool. Uh, first watch uh, JFK, the Oliver Stone film. Yep. Uh, which we were discussing before we were recording. That's a wild whole, and fun film. A whole bag of pro <laughs> problems there. Oh, man. But it's like such a, a stacked cast. Everybody's in this film. And they're all like doing a Louisiana accent, which is even more hilarious. Even like Joe Pesci. And, of course, you got Kevin Costner doing it, the king of bad accents. He's from... barely, he barely tries on his accent. So I got to give him respect then, yeah. for that. 
he'll like try to put like a, a subtle hint to the a accent twang in there. or something yeah uh, you did the same thing with uh, robin hood mm-hmm. uh i watched the andromeda strain um cool. which is an interesting movie i don't know if you ever caught that one um uh, no. then I, I rewatched the fugitive and then uh, uh me and another friend group have been I've watched another first... friend group I, I know i'm i'm so sorry who are these non-death by to, to video death by video people <laughs> death to video um that's the dvd slogan um i watched the first five fast and the furious movies over the course of two weekends okay just you know for fun i yeah. guess fun employment <laughs> part Part three is my favorite because it's just stupid. Well, it's it, like, it, it, like it we're going to Tokyo. It, we're going to Tokyo. None of the actors, uh, it was complete cash grab. None of the actors from the previous ones that are Except in it. Except for Vin Diesel at the end. The older brother from Home Improvement yep. is is at the very beginning. He's like the jaw. Well, doesn't it start with like the girl saying like, and whoever wins gets me. Yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. just like, what? Yeah, she's like, and there's that's a whole bunch of sexual politics going on here. We got to sort out. Home Improvement's uh, girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and also, Sonny Chiba shows up in this yeah. film as as the Yakuza boss. Zachary Ty Bryan yes. is his name. Also, Bow Wow is in this film. I know. Oddly enough. Some... And the hilarious thing about it is because the only memorable character is this uh, a Korean guy named Han. Yeah, who comes back. From but the he gets killed in this movie, mm-hmm. and then they want they he's the only good character. Um, the, mm-hmm. Nobody cares about Lucas Black. Um, he's the only good character, so they want to bring him back for the other movies. So they said all the other movies in the past. In the past, so they're like, oh, uh, actually, Tokyo Drift takes place in the year 2013, despite being filmed in 2006. Um, yeah. So it's kind of funny. I know. It's, um, it's I, a very silly movie. I do appreciate that once The Rock gets involved, the movies just become very silly and uh, fun. Apparently they went to space in the last one. I, I, don't, I don't know. We've only gotten to five. Five was the only good one that I saw. All the other ones are like not actually good movies. Yeah. I can't believe it took nine movies for him to get to space. Can't believe there's nine movies. Well, I know that uh, Vin Diesel has been talking like he'd like to do a musical version, and I'm like, why not? Go for it. Sure. Just who cares? Fast and the Furious on ice. Yeah. Well, they should actually they should make sure it connects up with the Cars universe, so we can explain how Cars gained sentience, yeah, killed all human uh, kind, and then took over the planet. I would be interested in that uh, Cars prequel. I hope it's in the same universe. Cool. Apparently something's happening upstairs. Um, and, that, and that's it, Kit? Have you that's seen that's cool. all that's interesting. Oh, I, I rewatched The Fugitive. I think I already mentioned that. That's a good that movie. I liked it. Man, it's, uh, it's a little over two hours, but it's just consistently exciting. Like, it's just like, especially the, the, the beginning where he's like jumping off the bus and he's, uh, he's got to jump off the dam. Like, in the first half mm-hmm. hour, all of that happens. All those are kind of iconic moments. It's great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, the, the rare times you see Harrison Ford with a beard. And also Joe Pantoliano, who looks great in a beard. Yeah. Guy's a yeah. damn snack. Okay, all right, so on to what I've seen. Um, I've watched a lot, so I'm going to try and keep it as brief as possible. So to wrap up my, I finally, I completed my Paranormal Activity series, um, watching all of them. I watched Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension from 2015, which was initially supposed to be the final um paranormal activity movie it was also like i'm watching they always say that and then they're like more money could be made but it, it was the only one until uh last october and then that one was i think it was an unrelated script that they that they put in turned it into a paranormal activity after the fact but uh this movie is more fun like it's just good spook house stuff um 
if you follow the story of the paranormal activity, it all kind of ties in. I was kind of bummed out that I'm like, oh, that demon wins again. Because there's a moment where, like, somebody's like, why don't we try exercising it? And then the priest is like, that's not going to work in this situation. This calls for extermination. And you're like, yeah, get them. These are, these are mm-hmm. like thousand-year-old demons. Grant. I know, I know. They're but, not going to be beat so easily. But it's been seven movies, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's got to win. Um, and then I watched uh, the fantastic documentary, documentary directed by Kayla Janice, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, A History of Folk Horror, which could be really called just A History of Folklore. Uh, it's over three hours long. It flew by. Uh, it's really interesting stuff. Uh, folklore is such interesting stuff that we don't really talk about it and explored folklore, not just in Britain and North America, but also in Australia and Asia and Mexico and all throughout Eastern Europe. I've read a bit about Japanese folklore and a lot of their things like, man, that would make a great movie. Some little guy pretends to be a baby, and you pick him up, and he eats your face off. Turns out they've done that. Oh man! Yeah, I got to see that movie. It's a it's a really really great <laughs> really great documentary. It left me with like a list of like over thirty films to try and track down and watch. One of which I did. I watched Eyes of Fire uh, from nineteen eighty three. Which uh, you're watching it, and you're just like, oh shit, this is like an earlier version of The Witch. And but I kind of it's kind of more gnarlier in a way. It's also just sort of like. Don't trust the guy who, you know, sleeps with your wife. Like, it's just don't do that. That's fair. It's yeah. rules to live by, probably. You know, there's, there's, it's, it's, it's just a dope, uh, I don't want to say fun, but it is fun and just sort of like deals with like folk, like folk horror and stuff and like wood spirits and stuff. And I really, really dug it. I'm going to bounce all around here. I'm going to skip over some of the stuff. I saw the film Drive from 1997 starring Mark Dacascus. It is a great action film. I'd say it's better than, um, Rush Hour by a I by a mile. Say it's better than when Nicholas Winding Refn's drive. <laughs> no, no, I'd say I'd say that they they are, they're totally different films. Um, but it's great to see Mark Dacascus in a starring role, and it's just a shame that he never did more. Yeah, I know it's a hit of the eyesore crowd because they screened it at some point. And yeah, it's I didn't see it through there, but it's it's dynamite. Um, uh, there's a fantastic Blu-ray out from it, and um, on top of it, it's like. You know, it's like, why did it take until John Wick 3 for Mark Dacascus to get another starring role in a in a bigger feature film? Like, this is, he's just got so much charm and so much stuff. He's good. Um, and then, uh, just going to mention a couple other titles. Watch Cherry Falls for the first time. Watch New York Ninja. Uh, watch The Ghastly Ones by Andy Milligan, which is my first Andy Milligan film. And I'm just like, this is wild stuff that he shot in his own house in Staten Island. And then the last two films are actually, the theaters are open. The cinema is back in Toronto, at least, or in Ontario. They've reopened cinemas. So I went to see, two days ago, and I saw two movies in theaters already, because I'm currently not working. So the first one was Spider-Man No Way From Home, uh, which is a, it's, it's a bit of, what are you looking at? Nothing. I was just looking at your uh, sweater, and for a second I thought it was Blood in the Sand, which was the uh, 2005 50 cent Xbox game. <laughs> but it's not. No, no. <laughs> that's a great side. No, um, Spider-Man: No Way Home, super fun. That's loved the it. The one where Fifty Cent goes to Iraq. Wow. Okay. <laughs> he, does he get Saddam? He goes there to for a. I, I don't never played the game. I've heard a bit about the oh, plot. A Bush supporter. But he goes there to perform a concert, and then like terrorists are there, so he has to take take him down. Cool. Um, Spider-Man: No Way Home. Really fun movie. I mean, I can see how this movie made a uh, billion dollars super fast. It's good. That's the thing. At the end of the day, this movie is just good. It's enjoyable. Um, I've, I've enjoyed all the Spidey movies. Yeah. I, I feel like I should watch the Andrew Garfield don't, ones. I've don't, never don't. seen them. Uh, the first one you can watch. The second one, don't. The second one's just bad. And, like, this one movie kind of redeems it. Like, 
it's been out for a while now. Like I did my best to avoid any spoilers. Oh yeah, well, we all know Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire yeah. are in the and movie, it's, and it's nice. Like there's kind of like a bit of a redemption for Andrew Garfield's often maligned two Spider-Man films. Um, Tom Holland is great, and like in this, the other thing too is that like when the movie ended, I'm like, man, I want to see the next one right now. And I wasn't even bummed that it's like because it didn't end on like a cliffhanger, like oh you have to see the next one to see the next thing. But they t- they laid groundwork for a future installment that made me excited to see it. Um, it's no longer, and you could do it without the Marvel universe, which is well, the also no Venom's in that movie too because they hint at that at the end of Venom two. He's not in it, oh. but they but they set up they set up how because. I'll have to explain it to you when we're off the podcast because it will take like an hour for me to. Like, okay, but it's the metaverse. It's it is a. Uh, but the but it gets closed right away. There, I'll yeah. just I'll just, I'll end that. There, there's a, there was a cartoon which the multiverse. Was about the same thing. The multiverse. The the cartoon uh, Spider Man, which I actually haven't gotten around to either. Oh yeah, that one's really quite enjoyed. good. That was also yeah. about the multiverse. Yeah, yeah that was uh, the it's Spider a, uh, sp- into the sp- Spider Man. Very much the a Spider Man universe thing is this multiverse. But uh, but the multiverse doesn't really play into it as much as as it would you would think from the previews and trailers, but they do they do set up so that Venom could happen probably in the next movie. But uh, it does end this is my big thing is like it ends with him getting rid of all of his stark billionaire funded Spider-Man suits and just making his own Spider-Man costume. Yes. And it's it is a comic book accurate Spider-Man costume. It is shiny red and shiny blue and it's just it's awesome. And I, I saw him on the subway a few days ago, by the way. Oh, that yeah, I know. Not I, wearing his mask, but wearing a mask. Yes. Toronto Spider-Man gets around. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Spider-Man no, no Way Home. I know it's an odd thing for this podcast to talk about it, but I really enjoyed it, and I hope there's more. Um, and then yesterday I watched Scream, the current one, or Scream 5. Uh, this movie, I hated how they go back. Just, like, it's been long enough. Let's just use the original title. No. Because they don't... I mean, it's it's a solid thing. They don't want to alienate possible new viewers. The Scream. The Scream. Yeah. Or Screams. Screams. <laughs> um, I mean, it was... It, I'm really, really glad that there was way less Nev Campbell. Not to put down Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette, but it's like... I, I don't want to see them the focus of this teen slasher as they're, as they're all in their 50s now. Like, I want to see... And the thing is, like, they actually built up new characters and new central, a new central plot that was actually tied back, but like unrelated to uh, Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox and David Arquette, and it worked for the most part until the end when they revealed the characters and they had a very dumb. It, it just came out, so I'm not going to relate it, but they had a very dumb reason for killing people. Um, and Courtney Cox um, and Nev Campbell and David Arquette, they're not in it that much. I think they're in it the right amount. I mean, well, actually. At the end, when Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell show up to like save the day, I'm like, ugh, just let the teens sort it out themselves. David, Ar- <laughs> that's what I'm always saying. David Arquette is great in the film. He actually gives a really, really solid performance as like somebody who's like clearly been through many, like four mass murder situations before this one. Uh, but yeah, it was a fun movie, uh, good theater movie. Um, recommend it. Good to see old Ghostface back on screen again. Um, and with that, right, Tony Starks. <laughs> what? It's a Wu Tang reference. <laughs> oh, okay. And with that, it is time to watch Herschel Gordon Levinson's. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph Gordon Levitt's Don Juan. Is that what we're watching? Herschel Gordon Lewis's Blood Feast. We'll be right back. If you're looking for more horror outside of the mainstream, look no further than Unsung Horrors, a podcast about underseen horror movies. I'm Lance. And I'm Erica. Every other week, we'll cover a horror movie with fewer than 1,000 views on Letterboxd. We'll even give you double feature recommendations to pair with the movies we discuss. 
From gothic to shot on video, from slashers to comedies, from giallo to J-horror, we'll cover all the subgenres. So join us as we unearth these hidden gems of horror. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Unsung Horrors, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And that was Blood Feast, directed by Herschel Gordon-Lewis, produced by David F. Friedman. So, Herschel Gordon-Lewis began his career working at an advertising agency in Chicago. He was directing television commercials and promotional films. In 1959, he started meeting with producers for his first feature film called The Prime Time. One of these producers was an employee of Paramount Pictures named David F. Friedman. They were an odd pair. By the way, I should get this out of the way right, uh, right at the start. Um, the, a lot of the research I did for this episode actually came from Joe Bob Briggs' book, Profoundly Disturbing, which has a chapter on Blood Feast, um, which I'll be using throughout our, our little Herschel Gordon Lewis, David Freeman series. I'll be referring back to it again and again. So they were an odd pair. Um, Lewis was an urbane intellectual who spoke the King's English with an MA in journalism and a PhD in psychology, and David Friedman was a Southerner who was raised by carnies, and I'm not kidding, he went around the carnival circuit, that's where he learned his hucksterism. Uh, together Lewis and Friedman were together, um, on what has been dubbed, uh, as what, have been, what has been dubbed mercenary filmmakers, Friedman worked as the producer and the sound recordist, and Lewis was the director and the camera operator. Their early films were what were called nudie cuties, essentially films that were sold on having female nudity that Hollywood films did not have. Uh, so during the harsh Chicago winters, Friedman and Lewis would travel to Miami, Florida to make their nudie cuties. These films had titles like The Adventures of Lucky Pierre, Daughter of the Sun, <laughs> Goldilocks and the Three Bears, Bears spelled B-A-R-E, um, and Untamed Woman in Nature, uh, Untamed Woman in Nature in the Raw. These films were made without an attempt at artistic integrity. They were exploitation films of the purest kind. If you wanted nudity on films, if you wanted nudity on film, these films delivered. Within a couple of years, the nudie cutie craze had died out. Skeevy men in trench coats had grown tired of simple nudity, and other filmmakers had started making what were called the roughies. These were films that still featured nudity and sexuality, but also featured women getting beaten up by men. The roughies. Yeah, the roughies. Nudies, and then movies is the same type of... Yeah, it's the same, same, same evolution. Rougher kinks, yeah. Yeah. And so while Friedman and Lewis had made one such roughie, a nasty little film called <laughs> Scum of the Earth... I can't take these roughies seriously. Yeah. They sound adorable. <laughs> They're not. Um, so yeah, so they made Scum of the Earth, um, but they wanted to make something completely different. They wanted to do it in color, and so they received a little over $24,000 from the owner of a theater chain by the name of Stanford... Kohlberg to make the film and they set off to Miami in order to make this film which is known as the first gore film and that is Blood Feast uh, so when the film was finished it was so different from everything else that it actually attracted mainstream reviews these reviews described the film in such terms as inept unprofessional and fias fiasco uh, to promote the film Friedman painted uh, printed up half a million vomit bags to be distributed at screenings. Uh, Lucio Fulci also did this maneuver for, oh, uh, for zombie. screenings of zombie. Yeah. I, I don't think it was Fulci. I think it was the um, Aquarius Films that was the company oh, okay, that released okay. it in the States. But they were, yeah, they included vomit bags. Um, God, I love Lucio Fulci. Sorry, just, 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 <laughs> just, uh, it just brings me back. Um, so uh, it played in over 350 drive-ins throughout, throughout North and South Dakota alone. Uh, there were protests against the film in San Diego and Tampa, and the film's financier, Stanford Kohlberg, had so much success showing it in his theaters that he immediately financed two more gore films for Friedman and Lewis to make. Um, and while their partnership didn't last, and we'll get into that in future episodes, it did make Blood Feast a smashing success. Um, so 
some notes. This film was the oldest film to be banned as a video nasty in the United Kingdom in the 1980s. Yep. Um, Stephen King once tweeted, what's the worst horror movie you've ever seen? For me, it's Blood Feast. A little harsh. <laughs> I've seen worse. Um, the film stars Mal Ar- uh, Arnold as Fuad Ram- Ramses. He only has five other film credits. Uh, some of those are with uh, are in Herschel Gordon-Lewis films. Uh, so he played an uncredited nudist in Nature's Playmates. He was in Goldilocks and the Fr- Three Bears. He was, was in he one of the bears. I don't know. He was in Scum of the Earth. He was in a film called Adam Lost His Apple. I don't know. That just has a funny sounding title. Uh, and then finally, he was in a film called Vampire Cop. Connie, he actually kind of looks like a young Herschel Gordon Lewis. He does, yeah. Maybe that's why he cast him a bunch of times. Directors sometimes do that. Um, Connie Mason played Suzette Fremont. She would later appear. She would appear in Friedman and Lewis's follow-up to Blood Feast, Two Thousand Maniacs, which is actually going to be our next episode. Um, she would go on to appear in the James Bond film Diamonds Are Forever and several other films as well as the TV program Starsky and Hutch, Dear Detective, Stone, Simon and Simon, and many others. Astrid Olsen plays the motel victim who has the tongue ripped out. Uh, Louise Camp plays Janet Blake slash the, sa- slash the sacrificial victim. So she was the victim on the uh, right. on the altar in the, the flashback to ancient, ancient Egypt, which had a lot of fog. Um, Ashlyn Martin plays Marcy, which is the girl who is the girl on the beach. Sandra Sinclair plays Pat Tracy. She also worked with Lewis and Friedman on Scum of the Earth. Christy Fauci played Trudy Sanders under the name of Tony Calvert, and she also appeared in Scum of the Earth. William Kerwin played Dr. Pete Thornton under the pseudonym Thomas Wood. He has an extensive filmography with 126 credits, the first being Everything I Love is Yours in 1952, and the last being the TV movie uh Bomber Harris in 1989. That's all the notes I have on the background of the film. I, I did read that um, apparently the guy they cast to be the uh, ca- police captain yeah. uh, didn't end up like showing up. Oh, right. So they got Scott Hall. So they got Scott Hall, who was a carnival barker. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's yeah. circus background. Exactly. And we should point out it's not Scott Hall, the professional wrestler. No, it's Scott H. Hall. Yes, not the, not the founding member of the NWO. Or the inventor of the razor's edge, <laughs> which be like I always it always bugged me in WCW how they renamed the razor's edge the outsider's edge because it makes no sense. Anyways, back to Blood Feast. So guys, this is both of your first time. I figured Phil, you would have seen Blood Feast before now. No, I haven't. A uh, a perennial favorite of John Waters, mm-hmm. and uh, you know a perennial it tracks, and a uh, cornerstone of trash cinema. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, this is um. I actually saw Blood Feast 2 before I saw Blood Feast 1. Uh, it's a very different movie, but also very similar in certain ways. But we will talk about that later on. So, guys, what is Blood Feast? Oh, wow. Okay. Opening up with a <laughs> philosophical question. Let's yeah. philosophically go through this. Blood Feast is an ancient Egyptian... Uh... Feast. Feast. To the goddess Ishtar, which Kit pointed out uh, is actually Babylonian, not Egyptian. Uh, and I know this because I take a lot of Egyptian classes in my spare time. Yeah. Herschel Gordon-Lewis is a scholar of uh, psychology, not... Uh, not Egyptology, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it opens up with a, uh, a murder of a woman. Well, she comes home, and on the radio there's been talk of more murders. And then she gets into the bathtub. And this film, for being from the director of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, uh, this is kind of tame on the nudity front. And then from there we are introduced to... Our, our bumbling cops, 
who I didn't even write down who played them. Give me one moment here. Yeah, we've got Mason and I think Pete Thornton. I, I don't yeah, know so Mason's Scott first. Scott H. Hall played Frank, the police captain. And detect. Oh, sorry, not Doctor Pete Thornton. It's Detective Pete Thornton. That's that's uh, uh, William Kerwin. Um, and these guys suck. Yeah, they're like, they're idiots. Yeah, they. I like their little police office set though. It's just, it's like, just a corner with a desk. A yeah. corner with a desk and two fake plants. And there's some stuff on the walls. There's like a cork board with like some like crime stats and missing photos. Real cheap wood paneling, but yeah. there's not even like office ambience. It's just the two of no, them just, hanging out yeah. there. That's One them. of them smokes a pipe. It was probably the corner of the production office, to be honest, which is fine. You <laughs> know, it's all like good. It. Yeah, yeah. And so these guys just can't. They're like, com- honestly, are com- are complaining about not finding clues, like well, yeah, they're the, the Hardy the Boys or something. The funny thing is, they keep on bringing this up, like, and I can't believe all that blood and all that murder, and there's not a single clue left behind. And yeah. this is never explained why the killer does not leave clues behind, because he doesn't try to be. Subtle, subtle, or sneaky, or anything. He drags he's, his his right uh, his right leg is is dead. I guess he drags it around. He carries a machete with him. He carries a machete with him. He's not careful or clean. He just he hacks things like we see the murder, and he just yeah. like it. And and uh, the whole thing with the gore is it's it's extra gross because it's like he uh, he I guess he cuts into her eye, and then what he lifts up is like just dangling bits Meat. of flesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, very loose and very thin bits of flesh, and that's like yeah. it has a gross look to it. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, they much like in Night of the Living Dead, they he went to they went to a butcher to get the gore, and then they coated it in that very very bright red uh, fake blood. Yeah, like uh, it's almost looked like like water paint. As I, mm-hmm. I was saying, it doesn't like mix with the water in the correct way. It like stays nah. on top, which is strange. Yeah, it's and also on people's skin it looks like it's like watercolor paint. It just looks gross. But that's also what like helps with the film. Yeah, it it, it makes mm-hmm. it extra gross. And I like how they uh get uh, close ups of like, oh here's the leg cut and you can see the the, the cartilage and, and the gore, gore coming yeah. out of it. Um, they always make sure to get a good shot of yeah. that. They're not letting your imagination do any work. It's like, mm-hmm. no, here it is. Yeah. And then uh, we then find that uh, it's made the papers where it says legs cut off. Yeah. yeah. With the su- Then there was a sub. Uh, legs cut off exclamation point. Yeah. And that's the big headline. And there was some smaller headline about like beaten by Nazis or something. It was, yeah. I was beaten by 12 Nazi prisoners. I don't know what it was. Yeah, it's very bizarre. <laughs> it was like we couldn't we couldn't read it. Um, but the thing is, at the the first clue that the audience gets is that there was a book that uh, the first victim was reading called. She's reading a book. It's it's a very like I guess Psycho was just out a few years back, and they're clearly going for that kind of vibe. Um, these are not filmmakers who are afraid of like just lifting what works in terms of suspense. No. So yeah, they go straight for the Psycho kill, uh, where the killer comes in and stabs her in the bathtub. But before it well, was, she get she's getting into the bathtub, and I guess she's going to read this. Looks like a mm-hmm. Bible that she has, but yeah. on its cover it says "Ancient Weird Religious Rites." Yeah, which apparently is a popular book in a certain book club, which keeps coming up, and the police don't put it together. Like, the only thing she was a part of was a book club. I mean, hmm. I guess all we... ancient religious rites weird. Isn't Probably, it? yeah, yeah. Well, after watching that uh, that uh, history of folk horror doc, yeah, they all were. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, this is why Christianity took over. You mean you don't have to burn your first child alive so that you have a good harvest? You no don't wonder. have to do that? Yeah, apparently not. Oh, damn, I've been yeah. doing things wrong. Yeah, you just wonder, like, huh, that's why all that happened. Um, uh, and then we meet uh, Mrs. Dorothy Fremont, who's played by Liz Bolton. She's, she's arranging for a feast for her daughter, who is a student of Egyptology at the local university. 
And she also, by happenstance, is, is the... she a student of Egyptology, yeah. or is she just... No, she's she's oh. studying. Yeah, she's she's a study. Yeah, she studies Egyptology, which just so happens to be great because she goes to Fuad Ramses's exotic catering service. And this is the other thing about Fuad Ramses is who is their art killer. Is if you didn't know he was the killer, you should because in every scene he looks like a killer, yeah. and he talks like a killer when he says like, "Have you ever had an?" Egyptian feast. And, like does a weird thing with his eyes. He's also got yeah. weird eyebrows. And also like it's that that dyed gray hair like where mm-hmm. they just put like some temporary dye into somebody's hair. Yeah, I've had it before. It washes out right away. It doesn't look great, but I guess that yeah. has a lot to do with the uh restoration of the film and stuff like that. Probably yeah, the the restoration is amazing, I have to say. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, Arrow... he kind of talks like a um one of those a slasher movie red herring uh, side characters. Yeah, he's the guy that you think is like, ooh, he looks like the killer, but he's not going to turn out yeah, to be the killer. Yeah, he's too obvious. But apparently, again, no, he's the killer. Subtlety is not in this film at all. Well, we see him like right away, like the first th- time you see him, it's his giant face coming into the shower. Oh, right, because he's killing that girl in the bath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. His identity is established like minute two into the mm-hmm. movie. But again, they never said it was an Agatha Christie like adaptation no, it's or not even a slasher to be film. A mystery. There's nothing subtle about yeah. this film. Yeah, well, I remember when uh, Hirsch and Gordon Lewis passed away, and there were all these write-ups of, like, he was an influence on such horror films, and blah, blah, blah. And Joe Bob Briggs was like, listen, listen, listen. We can enjoy his films. He wasn't an influence on anyone. He was a businessman. Like, he didn't he didn't have any artistic uh, drive to make films. Yeah, I could see, like, homage, and uh, maybe mm-hmm. with some of the way that Lucio Fulci does his gore. Uh, maybe Lloyd Kaufman was Lloyd Kaufman probably uh, I don't think I don't think this film's traveled to Italy though because oh, they, they didn't uh, because of the censorship they wouldn't have made it over the borders I don't th- they didn't play in Canada because um, they would have been considered obscene like they literally sub- uh, existed because of the southern states like um, lax theatrical laws so like they played a lot in Florida they played a lot in the Dakotas the drive the drive-ins um, I think they played around baltimore maybe in the 70s because that's when where john waters would have watched it yeah yeah he found them he watched them in a drive-in which he like i think he said that like the first time he watched it he watched it without sound or something um (laughs) you don't need it you don't need the sound it helps you get that great score of bum bum which yeah i wasn't able to track i mean obviously it's just like they hired a guy to do a drum but i think they're trying to emulate uh like a kurosawa film soundtrack where he's like building tension with the boom Boom. Cool. I feel like I've heard that. And then sure. we also get um, just the organ player. Yeah. I love it. The just rest an of the soundtrack is just organ player. But except for that weird one section where it's a, a violin thing going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whereas she was trying to do, like, I don't know, like some, some weird foreign, like, uh, European art film or something all of a sudden. Or they were just like, we ran out of music. Let's just stick this weird <laughs> violin thing in there. Um, so, I mean, the plot of this movie is... Fuad Ramses kills a bunch of people in the lead up to this Egyptian feast, which is actually in uh, in tribute to the goddess Ishtar, that old Egyptian Babylonian god, um, who is the god of blood and lust, I think is what they describe. So we should also point out, yeah. Oh, well, uh, Ramses has a shrine devoted to her. Yes. Cheap looking shrine. But yeah, I mean. but still, again, this is a cheap looking movie. I mean, it's a <laughs> it's a cheap movie. Not, I mean that in the best, nicest possible terms. Like this movie made... The colors pop. Though. Yeah, this movie made so much money, especially for its initial investment of just like 20... I think it was like 24... 
um, which is an amazing payback on it. Just because like no one else had done it before, they're like, we're just gonna do it. Uh, interestingly enough, they also when they got the blood because they bought stage blood and it didn't look, it looked too dull. So they actually had to change the composition of the blood themselves. Like Herschel Gordon Lewis went in and added stuff to to get it more red and more so that it would pop on screen. And it does pop on screen. Like this film is very colorful, which is interesting. Like it's it's odd to me to think that Herschel Gordon Lewis made black and white movies because out of all the films of his that I've seen, they always have great color to them. Like it's, it's a lot of bright blues and bright um, reds, yeah, and then some pink. Yeah, um, the film was filmed in uh, in and around Miami, Florida. The cops all wear like browns and shades yeah. of browns and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's got a color palette. How, what was it that you used to the term you used to describe Detective Thornton's uh, tie? It was like not tied, but it was just like folded over. Well, in the in the first time you see Thornton, he's he's not he didn't actually tie his tie, he didn't knot it. He just folded it over, which I've seen before sometimes in movies. I'm like you can't be getting away with that. Nah. Nonsense. Nah. We caught it. Um and so Ramsey just basically goes on his merry way killing people uh, ki- killing women specifically, so he he steals a heart, I think from he steals a brain from a woman on the beach. Yeah, that's the one with Tony. Yeah, Tony, the, the historic, hysterical boyfriend. <laughs> Who they're making out on the beach, and she's like, oh, I don't know, Tony, there's been a lot of murders. And Tony's like, hey, <laughs> I'm Tony. I don't worry, I'm here, it'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And, and now he's like, prove to me you love me. And yeah. then he immediately gets clocked by the killer. Yeah, after he's like basically forcing himself on his girlfriend, and the killer just like knocks well, him out right not, away. She's... Yeah, okay. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I don't. I didn't get the impression the movie was trying to go that way. No, no. He is pressuring her, but she's like, she's just a little worried, and then she's like, "Okay, Tony." Yeah. Um. And then the killer knocks him out and cuts the brain out of his girlfriend right next to him. Yeah, yeah, that that happens. And then Tony's grief scene is just something he's else. He's just hysterical and a <laughs> lunatic. He's a lunatic because he's just like. I don't even want to do an impression because he's just like, blah, 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 blah. what happened to my girlfriend? It's a, it's a, it's a, it all happens so fast. What am I going to do? <laughs> it's, it's, it seems clear to me like Tony was just not a talented direct, uh, Tony, actor. Tony was not a talented director? No, definitely not. Tony was not a talented actor, but mm-hmm. but the director was like, no, 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 you can't just play this straight. You've got to, it's yeah, real grief. Sad, you got to yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's like the director should have known that, should know <laughs> the limits of his own actors. <laughs> Yeah, um, but of course, but as you like, said, yeah. Herschel Gordon Lewis is a businessman. Yeah, he's really like one take. Here. Let's get out of here, <laughs> which I kind of agree with. I think we do too many takes because I'm editing a music video that I directed right now, and I'm like, oh, so many takes, so many takes. Um, so uh, and then the girl at the hotel who gets her tongue ripped out. I think she's the one that survives. We should also point out that somewhere around this time, uh, Suzette, played by Connie Mason, uh, and Doctor uh, Doctor Detective Thornton played by William Kerwin, we find out that they're dating. Yes. Um, Even though Detective Thornton looks at least 55. Yeah. <laughs> it was a different era. I'm, I'm pretty sure he probably is a lot younger. It's like... He looks you... like... So he's got a, kind of like a Robert Mitchum look. Yeah. Except like old. But we're... Kit, you were here when we uh, watched Transfers for Christmas, right? Uh, and, yeah. And yeah, we yeah, looked yeah, up yeah. the age of uh, Tim Thomerson in it. Because we were like, he's way older than Helen Hunt. And we looked at it, it was like, he's 37. <laughs> this man looks legit, though, yeah. like... 45 like old, yeah yeah uh let me see if he's got his... he looked old enough to be suzette's father let me look up his age see if i can find his age here uh born in 1927 so in 1963 he would have been uh 36 he does not look 36 let's look up how old suzette was connie mason was born in 1937 
So she's 26. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's not even that bad, but he, he looks terrible. Yeah. Again, a lot of people smoked back then. And that's, like, I do think that's what ages a lot of people, like, why so many people look old. Like, smoking and bad diets and bad drinking habits. Um, so, the, so uh, Connie goes to a lecture, and I thought that, yeah, it's, goes to a lecture. Oh, sorry, and it's it's not actually, I thought it was David F. Friedman who played the lecture, but it's actually Al Golden, uh, who plays Dr. Flanders, who gives the lecture. And it's a lecture about the goddess Ishtar and a blood feast and Detective Thornton's there. It turns out they're there on a date. And yep. then, like, the next scene, because um, he tries to be like, oh, let's go. Like, this is the only peace I've had since all these murders have started. So they go to, like, that's what he, a lake. That's what he says. Yeah. He go, they go to a lake just to chill out and probably make out. He actually says, this is the first pleasant evening I've had since the first murder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Copper. Um, he says a lot of weird things in yeah. that car ride. He's like... You know, you'd probably be safer with that killer than you would be with me. Like, oh. Yeah, what does that mean? Seriously, what does that mean? What, what's your follow-up thought to that there, Pete? And then, um, uh, uh, hey, Suzette, ever since we started going to those ancient Egyptian classes, I've been meaning <laughs> to tell you something. Yeah, going to them, them ancient Egyptian classes. Um, so then he gets called away, like, right away because there is uh, – there was another – girl who was attempted to be murdered which i think is the woman who had her tongue ripped out or something yeah it comes over the radio yeah yeah and so he goes to the hospital where his partner is and she is still alive and can still kind of talk but she's fading fast so they have to talk to her and she's like the only thing i remember him saying is etar etar and this is right after it's all for the goddess etar and this is right after literally less than an hour in movie time not in like reality time that he was at a Egyptian lecture about very a goddess Ishtar that requires a blood sacrifice. He's not putting these. He's like, I, I just, it rings a bell, but I can't put my finger on it. Even before, like yeah. uh, earlier in the evening, he was talking to his girlfriend. He was like, uh, uh, there's been, uh, she's like, I can't believe there's been no clues. Again, they bring up this point how there's been yeah. no clues left behind. Even though when the killer does his killing, he's leaving. He's like, tracks. Behind. Yeah. Um, anyway, he's like, yeah, I think I've got one clue. It's about this book, and he's, he's clearly referring to the uh, ancient weird religious rites. He's yeah. like, but I can't figure out how it's connected. Except for all the, the members. Like, he's going to these Egyptian classes. But I'm, pre- I'm guessing he's just like, oh, there's a book, but I'm not going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> he can't read. Yeah. And he doesn't. they don't put together that they're all a member of this book club either until like it's way too late. That all read the same book. Which is apparently, yeah. imagine entering a book club. And the first book that gets chosen is called Ancient Weird Religious, Religious Rites. That's like 1,200 pages long. Yeah. <laughs> I want oh, you all to read this. I came here to read the Da Vinci Code. Uh, it's only available by mail order. Yeah, that is, that's <laughs> true, to... because cause it turns out Fuad Ramses is the actual author of the book. Yeah, and that's how he's getting his victims, is he gets their addresses. They write, yeah. oh, could you please send me Ancient Weird Religious Rites? And who would have thunk it? They all turn out to be attractive women. Yeah. Yeah. Well, attractive women join book clubs is the... Uh, yeah, and they just love ancient weird religious rites. Um, so at this point, we're getting closer and closer to the feast, and uh, one of uh, there's a pool scene for some reason. We get to see uh, Suzette. Some nice perms. Yeah, some perms because none of the women some are getting perms. their hair wet, which good for them. It's cause... it's a gratuitous sexy scene. The the girls are almost like deliberately shaking their boobs and stuff. They're in bikinis. They're in the pool. They're having a good time. Um, 
and then one of them goes away and like splits off from the group to go home. Uh, this is after they're out of the pool and dressed and everything. And uh, Fuad catches her, and this is where he actually takes the blood because he whips her to death. Yeah, he he just knocks her out and brings her back to his his shop slash uh, lair. Altar. Yeah, very sloppily. Just yeah. He, yeah, he left like all of her stuff on it's, like her it's purse. Still daylight and, yeah. out. There's yeah. the purse. There's like a slipper. Yeah, like they find out that she's missing right away. Like he's he has, not good, and he cannot move fast. He's got a pronounced limp. He has to drag one of his legs. Mm-hmm. And like in the b- beach scene, he's clearly like he's got one. He's foot leaving a he's... trail in the sand. <laughs> yeah, they could have just followed the Very trail. Very distinctive trail. Although yeah. there is a snake in that scene as well. But the, if you remember in the flashback, there's a snake that the uh, the priest uses. Yes. We should also point out the Egyptian flashback happened during the uh, the lecture. The lecture, which goes on for too long and is kind of boring. Yeah. So you get why they went with a flashback. Yeah. But the interesting thing about the flashback is it's like, I'm always like, it, they did, for a very low budget film, they did pretty good. They had an altar. They had them in togas, even though that's Roman, not Egyptian. Um, and there's basically like, oh, this person is being sacrificed to the goddess Ishtar to bring about whatever. Um, but they used a fog machine in the flashback, which I just always find hilarious, where it's like ancient Egypt. If it's known for one thing, very foggy. Yeah. Also, uh, the way that the professor wraps up his lecture is just like, and uh, some say that the ancient blood rituals still go on today and people still practice this. But there's been no proof of that. That end. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Good night. And then everybody yeah. applauds and shakes his hand. Yeah, and, leaves, and they leave. Um, so basically now they're concerned, but they're still going to have the party. And this party sucks. Like when they get there, it's just a bunch of people not dancing, no music, no food. Standing there. Because they're just waiting for... Oh, and it's at this... Two blonde ladies yeah. wearing the same blue dress. It's at this point when, you know, Detective Numbnuts um, just sits down and he's like, Etar, Etar, ancient weird religious rites, a feast, <laughs> Fuad Ramses. I still don't get it. And then he and, and then it he, also zeroes in because there's he's got this massive fancy ashtray and there's oh yeah he smoked like half cigars. a pack of he's cigarettes. just sitting there trying to think it through. Well, so then he finally calls him and his boss yeah. are sitting in that little corner office and then his boss is like, well, I got to go do this thing. You uh, see you later. Yeah. And then uh, he's just sitting there. He's sitting there and he's mulling and he's stroking his chin. And then he goes, oh. And you think he's reached conclusion, yeah. but, but no. he keeps forgetting about this. He's just phoning yeah. his girlfriend to find out when her Egyptian-themed party is happening and telling that her that day. I'm going to be there. But they call it a blood feast, do they? That's funny. No, or no, it's an Egyptian feast. <laughs> oh, it's for the goddess Ishtar? Huh, why does that sound familiar? For and, Ramses? Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah, and so like he calls he calls the doctor, the uh, professor, and says, like, have you ever heard of Fuad Ramses? He's like, oh, he wrote this book. Oh, it's the same book that was found at all the killing sites. And he still waits a while to try and put it together in his head. And he's like, Captain, get in here. We got to go to Fuad Ramses's like, catering He's figuring office. it out in real time. Yeah, like very slowly. Very slowly. Although, quick for a cop. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said quick aside, but okay. Quick for a cop. Um, so... Anyways, after that, we're at... So they go to Fuad Ramsey's place. They find, like, the dead girl. And they're still not sending anyone to the house where his, where Fuad is preparing a, a blood feast for his girlfriend, fiancé, whatever. Yeah, I think it is just the two of them on the police force. Because yeah. there's, there's nobody else who can... They can't dispatch a car over there. There's nothing. Although there are some more cops at the end, though. So then, back at this party where nothing's happening, and Fuad's like, Okay, attention, everyone. We'll soon begin... 
the Egyptian feast, but for, for in praise of the goddess Ishtar, and everyone's like, oh, this is so cultured. Um, and <laughs> then uh, Fuad is like, oh, Suzette, you must accompany me into the kitchen because it is for the hostess or the her guest of honor must do something with the – just he gets her into the kitchen. Um, and this is where he keeps trying to convince her, like, hey, you must lie down like you're on an altar and give yourself to Ishtar. And she's like, what? <laughs> it's the creepiest thing. And it goes on and on and on, and she just cannot – or she can't remember the words. She doesn't know what she's supposed to do. She's like, close your eyes. I'm like, dude, if I was the killer, I would have been just, like, exhausted by this. She keeps on giggling and is like, yeah. this is so silly. Because it is, because it's ludicrous. <laughs> and fittingly enough, he has an airplane pillow in the kitchen. Yeah, just stashed there for her to put her head on. Yeah. And then finally – he pulls out his machete, and you're just like, oh, so he's going to kill her, And like, but the cops are not there yet. And then all of a sudden, like, the mother bursts in, his go- and she's like, what's going on here? And then Fuad is like, this is not working or something. And then all of a sudden you hear the police sirens, and Fuad runs away, and this is when I started humming the Yakety Sax Benny Hill theme. Because it was well, just he, like... Yeah, because it is kind of a comical scene. I don't think it was intentional, but he's... When he first takes out the machete, he's about to strike her, and then she, like, opens her eyes, and she's like, oh, I can't do it. I can't remember the words. Yeah. What were they again? And he gets her to lie back down while holding Oh, yeah, the he hides the machete behind his back. Behind yeah. his back. Um, and then she finally does mm-hmm. uh, close her eyes, say the words, and then he says some words, and then he lifts up the machete real slow, mm-hmm. and then he holds it there, and he just holds it there, and holds it there. And then her mom bursts in. And then her mom bursts in. Yeah. It's like, buddy, you gotta be a victim. See, I do think it was intentional, because as soon as the cops burst in to be like, oh, like, Fuad Ramsey's was here, but he just ran away, and she's like, I guess we'll have to have burgers for dinner. Like, Meanwhile, her daughter is, like, real tears coming down her cheeks, just bawling her eyes, just like Tony on the beach, just like uncontrolled emotion. And justifiably so. She was almost killed by a weird Egyptian. And her who, friend just is dead. And her friend is dead. <sighs> but the only problem is that there is no, like, I wish there were some more puns about um, of Fuad, that Fuad gave, like, it'll be a pleasure to serve you. Hmm. Yeah, or, because we see him taking a, a, a burnt leg out of a pizza oven. Yeah. That has, like... Um, dry ice in dry it. Ice yeah, dry in it, yeah. ice coming out of it for some reason. Yeah, I think that... I mean, like, dry ice, like, was their big effect because it was also in the pot while he was stirring it with the, for the Egyptian stew, which I didn't realize was a thing. Um, and then the cops just chase him and chase him and chase him through, like, a garbage dump in Florida. And he decides to hide in the back of a garbage truck as it's, like, taking off. And the cops stop it, but not before the garbage... And it's a modern, modernized, trash-compacting garbage truck before the, gar- the compactor crushes Fuad... And turns him into liquid. And then the cop, they sit there, and Detective Pete Thornton then recaps the entire movie <laughs> in one unbroken take. Just like, well, his, uh, this his happened. Because like, so how'd you figure it out? <laughs> well. <laughs> well, let me tell you the plot of the movie. That movie you just sat through, let me explain it to you. And he just literally tells the plot of the movie from start to finish. And then his bo- the captain is like, makes sense. No, let's hit the office, and then they. And then just... he also thanks uh, the cops. Also thank the uh, garbage truck drivers. Mm. You took out the trash, or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Some oh, like that. There was That's a... a great line. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up real quick. But what are you looking up? Oh yeah, he died a fitting end for the garbage he was. Yeah, that was that was a labored pun, but uh, but again, um, and. <laughs> Yeah, that's the end, and they don't even take the body out of, or tell them like drive the garbage trunk or garbage truck down to the precinct. We gotta like get forensics in there. It's like, nah, go about your day, boys. 
And the garbage guys are just completely nonplussed. Yeah, they're, like, they're, they're, well, I mean, like, they, you know, they come out <laughs> holding a uh, cigar in his mouth like, hey, what's going on, coppers? Um, and then the movie just ends. And that's it. That was Blood Feast. It is, I'm just looking over some of these quotes, and it, it is uh, during the kitchen scene, Susan Freeman is like, hey, you wouldn't sacrifice me on this altar, would you? And then causing Fouad Ramsey's mm-hmm. to be like, uh, no, I would not do that, of course. Yeah. So, guys... Final thoughts on Blood Feast. Uh, this was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous can't be fun. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's Even though it's pretty padded for 67 minutes. It was a long 67 minutes. It's a long 67 minutes. These movies usually are these one-hour movies, but mm-hmm. uh, I enjoyed it. Cool. Kit, what are your final thoughts on Blood Feast? I mean, it's a, it's like not a good film, but it, it was a fun film to watch. <laughs> it's not a good film. But it was a, yeah. <laughs> I want, just want to be clear here. Uh, it had a lot of... It's that word territory. Yeah, yeah. We're talking like it's it's good because it's bad kind of a thing. Like even the gore itself was just like... It's not gory really by today's standards, I guess. It, but it is a weird kind of grossness to yeah. it. It's very wet. Well, the thing is, we've lost a lot. Like, I mean, now that, like, you know, everything's Walking Dead and whatever, but, like, The Walking Dead, like, their level of gore that they put on TV is insane. But the other thing, too, is that, like, their gore isn't gooey in the way that gore used to be, where it's, like... Gooey and also fake-looking in a way that makes it grosser. Yeah. Like, oh, I didn't know skin could tear like that. Well, it can't, because it doesn't, but that's pretty gross. I love gooey gore, because it's just... It makes you unsettled, which gore doesn't really do anymore. Um, Especially... Especially even in, like I was watching uh, what was it some episode of um, of American Horror Story and like a character is using a chainsaw to cut through actual voodoo zombies and it was like oh that's pretty gory for like a TV show but uh, again it just it didn't do anything for me um, didn't repulse me or even like scare me a little but anyways this film yeah the gore was goopy and gross anything else Kit uh no no that's I really can't it's not a very deep film I don't have a yeah. lot of final thoughts we've only been talking about it for like half an hour, which is a very brief time for us even this is before I've edited out stuff some great great title cards uh-huh. I, I did enjoy uh I've been a connoisseur of title cards recently and the uh, mm-hmm. title card over the Sphinx yeah uh and then it's just like it's done in blood um and then also blood is squirted at it, it yeah. as well very interesting the art of the title yeah and they also did that for the end. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we should also point out that because we're watching the Arrow video Blu-ray remastered version, the titles are in 4x3 because I think that's how it was finished, uh, was 4x3, uh, but the actual film itself is in 16x9. So uh, so it's a bit a bit of an odd thing where it's like, oh, it goes from like widescreen to that box, but uh, I don't mind it. I think both the, the, the titles and the, the actual film, which was probably scanned from the original negative, look fantastic. Um, my final thoughts are... This is a film that crawled so others could walk. Um, <laughs> and uh, and we will see that very much with our next film, in the which we're covering, The Blood Trilogy, which is 2000 Maniacs, which is a, a definite step up in a lot of respects. Uh, it's still fun. It's still gory. It's, uh, it's, it's very problematic in today's age because it's about 2000 ghost confederates who decide to massacre or to kill uh, some tourists from the north. Um, but we'll get into that. Sounds fun. Yeah, we'll get into that next episode. All right, so uh, we hope you enjoyed this one. This has been a, a br- very brief one, so I'm happy. I'm looking forward to editing this one because it's going to be <laughs> not our normal like rambling conversations about lots of minutia. Um, so for Death by Video, I've been Phil. I've been Kip. And I've been Graham Singh. Please keep watching amazing movies. Good. Well, I don't know about our
in the crimson, Jimson, and twist. 